I'm going to be reading from 2 Timothy chapter 4 if you'd like to follow along in your Bibles or your devices or it will also appear on the screen. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who will judge the living and the dead and in view of his appearing and his kingdom I give you this charge. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, Discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all those who have longed for his appearing. Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved the world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. I knew Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him, because he strongly opposed our message. At my first offence, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Anisiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus sends greets you and so do Puddins, Linus, Claudia and all the brothers and sisters. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. Good morning. My name's Stephen, one of the ministers here. Listen to these words again. In the presence of God... And of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. It's hard to imagine how Paul could have said this in a more serious kind of way. He's at the end of his life. He wants Timothy to to continue the work. And so here, at at the end of, of his last letter that we have, he's bringing everything together and he gives Timothy nine instructions. Now today what I'm going to do is I'm going to very quickly run through these nine instructions. They really just summarize everything we've already, already seen. But then what I'm going to do is focus 
in on why. Why is Paul so clear and so urgent about these things? So here we go. Let's have a look at these nine things. Paul says, I give you this charge. Number one, preach the word in verse two. This is the gospel message and the teaching that goes with it. Paul says, number two, be prepared in season and out of season. Timothy's message needs to be God's message when it's popular, but also when it's unpopular. He says, number three, correct. Number four, rebuke. Number five, encourage. Timothy needs to be willing to correct ways of living that deny the gospel. He needs to be ready to rebuke those who are giving wrong teaching that are endangering people's faith. He needs to call people, encourage people to the side of truth and grace. Number six, keep your head in verse five. Timothy needs to stay calm under fire. He needs to be carefully thought through in everything he does. Number seven, endure hardship. He needs to be willing to suffer for what's right and true. Number eight, do the work of an evangelist. He needs to keep the gospel central in everything and and keep on holding out the gospel to others. And then finally, Paul summarizes it all. Number nine, discharge all the duties of your ministry. What Paul's saying here, uh, he's bringing everything in, in this letter, everything in his whole life really together. And he's saying to Timothy, at all times, the people that Timothy ministers to, they need to be carefully, patiently shaped by the gospel. Now, we've seen this message these last few weeks that we've been doing to Timothy. But what we see here today is why this is so important in verse 3. Paul writes, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. That's what we're going to focus in on today. Uh, It's really important that Timothy patiently, carefully shapes Uh, People, according to the gospel, holds to the gospel himself, holds others to the gospel, because at, at times, people will not tolerate sound doctrine. This isn't the first time that that Paul's warned about this, of course. Uh, In fact, even 10 years earlier, Paul Paul was warning them about this. In Acts 20, verse 28, Paul, he, he gathers the Ephesian elders together and he says to them, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. And then dramatically he says, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. And actually, within just a couple of years, Paul writes to to Timothy, who's based in Ephesus. He writes 1 Timothy, and in chapter 4 we read, he writes, The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. And then in verse 3 he says, They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods. Within the space of a couple of years, people are teaching these these wrong things already. And then a few years later, we get to 2 Timothy, 
and Timothy still in Ephesus. And we read, we read in chapter 2, verse 17, that there would be people whose teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. Now, it was critical that Timothy would hold the gospel line because people were going to distort it. They already were, and they would into the future. But is this still important for us today? I wanted to show you those little snippets of um, what Timothy was facing because you can read them and it just doesn't feel like it resonates with us today. People forbidding marriage. Or people forbidding eating eating certain foods. People saying that the resurrection, our resurrection's already happened. Like it sounds so strange, weird and wonderful that sometimes we can read this and think, maybe it's not relevant today. Maybe this is relevant for, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses and Christadelphians and Mormons and that sort of thing. But it's not relevant to us. It's not really something we need to worry about. But what I want to do, I want to show you a a trailer of, of a documentary that apparently is on Netflix in Australia at the moment. Uh, it's called The American Gospel. And, and I reckon it shows us that we actually do need to pay attention to this. It shows us that the gospel message is still being twisted. Have a look at it. It is a pain to know that there are people who do not know Jesus. It is a greater pain to know that oftentimes Jesus and Christianity is being distorted. Who told you you can't accomplish your dreams? I had no clue what the gospel was. I never really heard it. You know, God wants you healthy. I worked for my uncle Benny Hinn, who's a famous faith healer. As far as I knew, he died and rose again so that I could have a prosperous life. But what was going through my mind at the time was that this was real. Charlatans and snake oil salesmen have been doing this trick for decades. People think basically that religion is there to boost your ego, make you happy, make you more successful, make life go well. Um, And as I got older, I really started to question God and how he could send people to hell. Scripture says that we make the mistake of thinking God was like us. And what you do is you create a God who only wants to give you all the desires of your heart. Your destiny is calling out. It's time to start living large. We stayed in hotels upwards of $20,000 a night. Nobody wants to die, nobody wants to be sick, and nobody wants to be poor. All the things that Jesus says we have to be willing to set aside to follow him. They take all of those things and they make that the attraction of the gospel. We are exporting the very worst of what Christianity has to offer. I'm strong, I'm healthy, I'm blessed, I'm favored, I am a victor, not a victim. I'm going to live a long, productive, faith-filled life. In terms of biblical Christianity, Christianity is about dying. How can I just continue to live my life as if this isn't true? So I abandoned my version of the American dream, and I said, I will do what I can to take the gospel to the nations. Now, I would encourage you to watch this if you have Netflix. Um, it, It really shows that there's a vulnerability that we have, that there's a danger here, that we uh, could well 
twist the gospel even today. Now, that's the American gospel, but we're in Adelaide. Is this a risk that we face? Well, I reckon here in this last chapter of Paul's last letter, he actually shows us that, yeah, that there's a risk for us. Have a look, a closer look at what's going on. Have a look in verse 3. Paul says to Timothy, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Now, some of us hear the word doctrine and we imagine, you know, boring kind of philosophical debates about words. That's, that's what it brings to mind. But that's not really the sense of this at all. Sound doctrine here is literally healthy teaching. Paul He's giving a real warning to Timothy that he should expect that some people are just not going to tolerate healthy teaching. Look at what they're going to do instead in in verse 3. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Now, I reckon these verses, they should sound a really strong warning to us today because people finding people that'll agree with them Is that a kind of old, irrelevant danger? Isn't that a huge modern temptation that we face these days? I mean, doesn't Facebook kind of filter what we see so that we really only see those we already agree with? Don't we go to the kind of news sources that are likely to echo our point of view? Aren't we we people with things like Netflix who select what we watch when we want to watch it? And there's a danger that we could do that with teaching about God too. Last week in chapter 3, we we heard about false teachers. But what we see here in chapter 4 is that the problem's not simply that there's false teachers out there. The problem's also that we're prone to want to hear wrong teaching. If you like, we create the market for false teachers. They just give us what we want to hear. Paul tells Timothy that he should fully expect that that people will at times be like this. In verse 4, he says, they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. I had a a friend who was a Muslim who was really impressed with Jesus and and he became a Christian. But having been a Muslim, he he really struggled with the idea of, of Christians eating pork and he got really hung up on that. So what did he do? Well, unfortunately, he got on the internet and he found a teacher who said what he wanted to hear, that eating that Christians shouldn't eat pork, it's wrong. And unfortunately, this teacher said all sorts of wrong things and my friend took his eyes off the gospel. Now, he's not alone in this. You know, sometimes people, they'll get hung up on, on the Sabbath, thinking that we've got to observe it in a Jewish way. Sometimes people get caught up thinking that you know, Hebrew words have got special secret significance. There are any number of wrong teachings out there. But really my concern is, what about us here? The question we need to ask is, where, where are we at risk of turning away from the, the truth of the gospel message and instead embracing gospel myths? And I reckon the best way for us to figure this out is to ask yourself, What do you want to hear? What do you wish the gospel said that it just doesn't say? Or, you know, flip that around. What do you wish the gospel didn't say that it actually does say? 
I reckon these two questions, they uncover two big risk areas for us today here where we're tempted um, to find teachers who'll say what we want to hear. That documentary, American Gospel, I'd encourage you to watch it. I reckon it identifies one of these risk areas. And it's the idea that if we follow God, our lives will go well for us in the way that we want them to go well for us. We want to hear, don't we, that we'll be healed from our diseases. Or we want to hear that that we'll be well off financially, we'll be blessed abundantly. Or we want to hear that we can be the best versions of ourselves that we can be, happy and successful. We want to hear all three of those. We want to hear that God promises us those things. Now look at Christianity in the world and there's no doubt that we're prone to this. We're prone to want to gather teachers around us who are a bit more like self-help gurus than teachers. We want sermons to show us how we can be the best versions of ourselves, how we can get the most out of life, how we can be physically, emotionally, economically self-fulfilled. But it's really hard to reconcile this with the Bible. Because Paul, he writes from prison about to die And he writes to Timothy saying, join me, endure hardship with me for the gospel. He doesn't say that God promises any of these things in this life at all. In fact, in this very letter, in verse 20, Paul says that he left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Just think about that for a second. Paul, the great apostle, casually says he left Trophimus a gospel worker, not healed, he left him out of action sick. How is it that millions of Christians can believe that God promises that if they just have enough faith, that they'll be healed? How can we possibly believe that when we've got things like this? Well, it's because we're prone to gather to ourselves people who tell us what we want to hear. And when you're sick and desperate, I've seen it many times, What you want to hear is that God promises to heal you. But what you need to hear is that God will bring us safely through sickness, safely through suffering into his kingdom if we trust in Jesus. Now lately, I know I keep talking about J.I. Packer. I think it's because he's died recently and lots of people have been writing articles about him and so he keeps coming on the radar. But um, the other day I was reading a preface that Packer had written to a book written by John Owen a few hundred years ago. John Owen was one of those reformers who um, writes impossibly long and excellent but complicated books. This one was called The Death of Death in the Death of Christ. You know what you're in for with the title. (laughs) In this preface, though, Packer, he compares the old gospel that you'll find in John Owen with the new gospel that you'll find preached today. Now, let me read a bit. It's quite dense, but it's really great stuff, so stick with me. Packer writes, One way of stating the difference between it, between the new gospel, and the old gospel, is to say that it is too exclusively concerned to be helpful to man, to bring peace, comfort, happiness, satisfaction, and too little concerned to glorify God. The old gospel was helpful too, 
more so indeed than is the new, but so to speak incidentally, for its first concern was always to give glory to God. It was always an essentially a proclamation of divine sovereignty in mercy and judgment, a summons to bow down and worship the mighty Lord on whom man depends for all good, both in nature and in grace. Its centre of reference was unambiguously God. But in the new gospel, the centre of reference is man. Whereas the chief aim of the old was to teach people to worship God, the concern of the new seems limited to making them feel better. The subject of the old gospel was God and his ways with men. The subject of the new is man and the help God gives him. There is a world of difference. The whole perspective and emphasis of gospel preaching has changed. Is that true? It's pretty sad stuff. God deals with death. He brings immortality to light through Jesus who shines a light on the, on the darkness in our hearts. Through Jesus who dies in our place to make a way for us to find real mercy, real forgiveness, real comfort. Jesus who now calls us not to live for ourselves but to live for him. Could it be true that, that we actually find this message too confronting, too heavy, and so we actually want to hear something else? During my holidays a, a few years ago, I, I visited a church where um, during the service someone was interviewed and they were saying how they'd always given a certain, money, certain amount of money to the church, they'd tithed, and because of that, they were saying, God had always provided for them. And their son had just got an apprenticeship and that was because they'd tithed, tithed and God was providing for them. And then a little bit later in the service, there was the sermon. And the sermon was essentially, if you have bitterness in your life, you need to deal with it. And by doing that, you'll unlock God's blessings in your life. Now, at the end of the service, uh, I was encouraged by some of the things I saw there but I walked away overall sad because the strongest message that day was give money, deal with your bitterness and God will bless you and make life go well for you. Now there were helpful life lessons, there were, there were things that were true but the gospel wasn't shining brightly. It was eclipsed by a message of self-improvement, self-activity for self-centred gain. Now that's the kind of new gospel and the truth is we're not immune from it here the truth is just as much as anyone else we're prone to want the the gospel to say to us we'll be wealthy we'll be healthy we'll be self-fulfilled and the danger is we'll go looking for that message that's one big danger i said there were two I actually reckon the second one is, is bigger for us, an even bigger risk for us. Uh, and we're tempted to go looking for people who will tell us what we want to hear around this danger. And the bigger risk for us is that we'll find ourselves wishing the gospel didn't say certain things. Maybe it's God's judgment. Maybe it's hell. Maybe it's God's anger. 
Are there things we wish God didn't say? You know, think about the Bible. Are there things that we wish God didn't say in the Bible? What's one of the biggest clashes between our culture and the Bible in the last few years? Well, it would have to be same-sex marriage, wouldn't it? That would probably be one of the biggest ones. And I reckon what this means for us is we're prone to want to hear that same-sex marriage is okay in God's eyes. Most of us have got friends and, or family who are in same-sex relationships. We know, we know them, we love them, and we can find it really hard to believe that God might not be for their relationship. And then we have the world telling us that to say that same-sex marriage is wrong, it's not just archaic, it's hateful. It's intolerant, homophobic, it's abusive. And then we hear there are ministers out there who tell you that actually God is not against same-sex marriage. What he's against is homosexual rape or promiscuity. But he would never create people same-sex attracted and then oppose their love and faithfulness just because it's between two people of the same gender. Do you feel the appeal of that? I do. And then we can think, oh, well, it's not like it's a gospel issue anyway, is it? Just like we've got different views here on baptism and creation and on women preaching, things like that. Surely it's fine for church just to say, this is not a gospel issue, so it doesn't matter what you believe here. And I've, you know, I've chosen that one because it's such a hard one. But is it okay? Or is that us being drawn to hear what we want to hear? I've chosen same-sex marriage because it, it's the one that we probably feel the most, you know, that's most conscious in our minds. But I've also heard people want to find teachers who will tell them that sex before marriage is okay, that greed is okay, that drunkenness is okay. But the truth is that any sin against God that we want to redefine and say it's not sin, that is a gospel issue. Because what we're really saying is that we wish we could judge for ourselves what's right and what's wrong instead of letting Jesus be the judge. That's a gospel issue. Because it's the gospel that tells us that Jesus is our saviour and our Lord. That's why Paul says in places like 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9, Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now, I'm not saying we won't be a community that struggles with these things. It's the opposite. We will be a community that struggles against greed, that struggles against drunkenness and sexual immorality, that struggles with same-sex attraction at times. What I'm saying is we actually will struggle with these things because the gospel calls each and every one of us to let Jesus be our saviour and our Lord. But part of that struggle is recognising this is a risk for us. 
we sometimes want to go and find people who are going to tell us different things. But we need to remember that Jesus is Lord, not us. So let me ask you, you know, today with this reminder here in, in 2 Timothy, let me ask you, which of these things do you wish this church would, would be softer on? Or would just be silent about? Is it drunkenness? Do you wish we'd just say it's not really an issue? It doesn't really matter. We're not legalists. Is it greed? You know, do you wish we'd just never mention money or how we should let Jesus be Lord and Saviour of our finances? Is it sex before marriage? Do you wish that we'd just grow up and let people figure out their own private lives? Is it homosexuality? Is it something else? You see, we're not going to do that as a church. We're not going to be silent on these things because like Timothy, we need to stick to the true gospel that's been entrusted to us and that includes that Jesus is Lord and Saviour. He gets to call the shots in our lives. And I would encourage you to acknowledge that at times we will be tempted to want to hear different things and, and find different teachers who'll say them for us. But realise that the true gospel is so much better than any fake gospels that we might want to hear. Jesus is a better Lord and Saviour than any we could invent. His plan for our lives is better than any plan we might want him to have that we could go looking for. He's died for us to abolish death and bring immortality to light. We can, we can trust that he knows what he's doing. If you've never actually entrusted your life to Jesus, don't keep chasing other things that, that aren't going to deliver. Jesus promises real life, real forgiveness, real relationship with God. Now, this won't always be what we want. But it is always what we need, what he offers. It's better than what we want. Give your life over to him. And if you're like most of us, you've already done that. Don't then go back to, to chasing what we want to hear. Don't go looking for that, things that won't deliver. Stick to the true gospel when it's popular and when it's unpopular. Let Jesus be your Lord and Saviour. Let him correct you, rebuke you, encourage you in your actions and motivations. Keep your head so clear that you can recognise when your heart is actually wanting to lead you astray. Be willing to, to suffer, face hard, hard times for the gospel. Be willing to hold the gospel out. Do the work of someone who's been entrusted with the gospel. That's the charge Paul gave Timothy. But it's the same charge that God gives every one of us. Let me pray for us. Father, you know our hearts even when we don't. You see where we are tempted to want to chase after other things when you've given us the wonder of the gospel, when you've given us Jesus Christ, fully God, fully human, who poured out his life for us and now lives for us, for our good, for our destiny that is beyond anything we can imagine. And yet, Lord, you see that our hearts are prone to wander. 
that we feel drawn to other things. Lord, forgive us for that. Keep calling us back to the true gospel. Help us to recognize and to see the kind of things where we'll go looking outside of your gospel message in Christ. And Lord, seal our hearts for you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.